It's an honor to be with you. Thank you for, uh, for being here tonight. And, and I just, my, I, I just, I'll go into a little bit of an introduction. Grace, my wife Grace is here. And we have two children. We have a, a grand, we have a son who's uh, 44 and our daughter's 41. And we have four grandchildren, two, two grandsons from our daughter. 17 and 15, and then we have three, well, I said four, we have five. Four granddaughters from our son, uh, seven, five, and six months. So that's a little bit of who we are. I've spent the last quite a few years of my life working with hurting people, and, and so that's been quite a journey. How many of you here have found life easy? Can I see your hands? How many of you found life easy? I don't see any hands. Please, there's got to be somebody here that's found life easy. You know what I see is, is life is very difficult. Have you found life very difficult? Uh, you know, in some ways, I think life has been fairly easy for me, and yet when I look back over the experiences of life, I know it's been very, very difficult. And, uh, yeah, we went through a, a two-year-old grandson that had cancer, and some of his uh, fellow cancer patients that, he, that they were treating uh, didn't make it, we have our grandson. He's 17 years old. We're grateful, but that was a tough time. You know, uh, two weeks in Pittsburgh Children's Hospital, um, three years of chemo and many years of follow-up, just, just difficult times. I, I could just go on and on and, and tell you about difficult times, but that wouldn't do any good because you've had them as well. So as I, as I look at life, life, life here's, here's what I see in working with hurting people. I, I started seeing five common problems that were almost always there when you have hurting people. And so if you have, that, if you have your hand out, if you, uh, if you flip to the, the side that says common damaging concepts of people who are hurting, it, it, shows, it shows six there. Uh, uh, four of them are highlighted, one, two, three, and five, because we won't have time to go over all of them this week, but we're going to try and do those four. Tonight, I would like to do sort of an introduction uh, to, to what the whole series is called, which is Foundations for Life. I call it Foundations for Life because I started seeing that there's, there's five common things that need to be healed or corrected for us to live life uh, and flourish with it. So I get into a lot of different churches. I get into churches where I never have met anybody in that church. And so it's, it's really neat, though, because a lot of you, some of you I know, some of you I've seen, some of you I don't know and I haven't seen at all. But yet we have, the common, we have a common factor, and that is we have the same father. And that makes us brothers and sisters, right? And that makes us family, and that's, that's a real blessing to me. And so it's, it's neat to be with a family that I've never really spent a lot of time with, but we're brothers and sisters, and our goal is to, is to follow Jesus and walk with him. So as we, as we look at those five concepts, or there's actually six there, wrong concepts of God, what I, what I see is the difficulties in life mess with our theology. The, the difficulties in life mess with our theology. When I get into churches, I look, up, look out, and you know... Everything can look so nice, and everybody looks so great, and everything's just fine. But, boy, my experience has been is there's a lot of hurt, and there's a lot of pain sitting in these benches. 
Okay, that's just what, that's just my experience. It's what I've seen and observed. And so those, those difficulties that we have in life mess with our theology. For example, one of the number one things that I see is wrong concepts of God. If God is a sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God, why would he let this happen to me? Did you ever ask that question? Did you ever think about that? Okay, that's a common thing I uh, that I run into when I'm working with hurting people. So that's the number one here on the back, wrong concepts of God. And, and, and that comes from many different sources, but it comes from pain. It comes from, from difficult things that have happened. It comes from abuse. It comes from, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll just, enough of that. We'll, we're going to look at that tomorrow night. Uh, next one is multiple identities. People don't know who they are. They have multiple identities. They're one person at home. They're another person at church. They're another person at work. They're another person when they're by themselves. And James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So what we really need is a completing identity. We need a completing identity so that we know who we are as a born-again, died-for, chosen by God, child of his. And then the sub-identities can all fit together. We're going to look at that Wednesday night, Lord willing. And then misunderstand, misunderstandings about forgiveness. We all know we have to forgive, but we're not quite sure how to go about it. And so Jesus defines forgiveness, and we're going to be looking at how Jesus defines forgiveness on Thursday night, Lord willing. And so, uh, and then the, the uh, wrong concepts of love, we're not going to get there, so that's another interesting topic. Uh, then the power of choice, that, hopefully that'll be the last evening that we, that we look at that topic. The power of choice, God wants us to live by his spirit out of our spirit, and we have, the, we have to choose to do that. Because if we don't choose it intentionally, we will live by default. And we'll talk about that. Because most people live by default instead of choosing to live by God's spirit out of their spirit. So, we wanna, so the goal of this week, from my perspective, is to sort of do some group counseling. Is that okay? We can just talk about some of the truths that, that God wants us to know to dispel the lies that the enemy gets us to believe because of the hurt and pain that we've experienced. Uh, just this past, just in the last two weeks, uh, I, I was just making a few notes, but just this past week, we had a, we had a, a, a person who stayed overnight with us with their child because... Uh, they were suicidal. Why? Where did it come from? Well, it came from a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. But we knew it was best if, they, if she didn't stay by herself with her child. So she stayed with us. Uh, at church, a few, not, not this past week, the week before, um, one, of our, one of our young men had, had a, a girlfriend along. And I was there talking with her, and it didn't take long because her sleeves were higher up here and I saw all the cuttings on both of her, on both of her arms, okay? And what was interesting is Grace said, did you see the cuttings on that girl that stayed overnight with us the other night, okay? Do you, do you, hear, do you hear what I'm saying? This, I'm, I, this is what we run into all the time. I have an idea. There's probably people sitting here who have scars from cutting. Here, now, tonight. You see, because we have a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, we don't know what to do with that hurt and pain. And so they create external pain so it hides the internal pain or it, it masks it. I talked 
had a long conversation this morning with a gal who's going to be speaking with another wife whose husband is addicted to pornography. Now, conservative church, uh, everything looks good on the outside. He doesn't want people to know. His wife knows. Uh, what do we do with that? Well, you know, it's interesting is tonight we're going to be, I'm going to be introducing the, 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 the series here as the foundations for life. Because there's three foundations that every, God, in, God intended and he created all of us to need. And we want to look at those foundations. So oftentimes, porn is, is less about sexuality and it's a lot more about medicating pain. One of the counselor training sessions that I took, the counselor trainer said, he said that what's interesting is, is when people are sexually stimulated, they cannot feel emotional pain. And so he says, that's why people get into porn. It's why they have affairs, because it masks the pain that they're experiencing. So I want this to be open dialogue. You feel free to ask questions, make comments. But that's a little bit the background of where we're going here. I, uh, I, just, I just got this yesterday. So I thought I'll read it to you. Came from, came from a gal not real close to here, but she says, I've never told anyone, but after all the physical and spiritual abuse growing up and having fought so hard to find God and finally had found him and some of the answers I so craved, then I married and the spiritual abuse from my husband was at a whole different level. It wasn't just a church setting, but it was aimed directly at me. Something inside of me broke and I haven't recovered as of yet. I've not actually read anything from the Bible in several years. Now, if you would see her, you'd never know that. She looks like one of us. You'd never know that. I could sit here and tell you stories, and you'd probably enjoy hearing the stories. Um, we'll, we'll, tell another, we'll tell another very interesting one tomorrow night. So, uh, but that, that I just got. I got that yesterday. And, and there were many, actually, there were many that followed that. So you see, life, life's difficulties mess with our theology. We need to get our, our theology, we need to have truth straighten out our theology so that life no longer messes with us. It won't make the difficulties go away, but when we have a good understanding of what God wants us to know about these five topics that we're, not, we're, we're, gonna get, we're only going to go over four of them, but those five topics, wrong concepts of God, wrong concepts of forgiveness, wrong concepts of identity, uh, wrong concepts of, of love, and then living out of our spirit. Those five things I, see, I kept seeing over and over again. So what I did is I put together, I put together a resource for anyone, and, and you're, you're all welcome to it. I actually have in my, I brought along a flash drive that has all those resources, their, their PowerPoints. Um, there's, there's MP3s you can listen to. There's handouts. If somebody's interested in that, I, I can leave a flash drive here with somebody, and, and you can reproduce as many as you want. It's just a resource that I've put, put together for, for church leaders, mostly. So let's begin. Let's look at foundations for life. So bound by missing links. How can you, if anyone here with logic says that if you have a chain that has missing links, you can't bind anything, Okay. But what's interesting is, is I see that more people are bound by these missing links 
than, than almost anything else. There's two different kinds of trauma. The one's harmful by, by presence, and that's sexual abuse, uh, verbal abuse, physical abuse, spiritual abuse. Those, those things are, are present by their, their presence. They're, they're trauma by their presence. But there's another one, and that's harmful by absence. And that's what I want to look at this evening, because this is so, so key. It's so key. And, and so this is when they're missing, then it's a, it's, a, it's a vacancy that you don't know what to do with. So let's, let's take a look at it. Harmful by absence. Here's, here's a few of them. Not experiencing unconditional love. Someone who will listen and understand and care. Every single one of us longs to be loved for who we are. You agree with that? You long to be loved for who you are? Just love for who you are without somebody trying to change you, right? And, but see, somebody's been trying to change you ever since you're a little child, right? Your parents started and with good purpose and good intent, but then you got married and then they're starting to change you too, right? They want to change, it's just, it's part of life. And so, but we need, every one of us longs to be loved and cared for unconditionally, for who we are. Do we need a change? Yes, but we still long for unconditional love. Not knowing the joy of being a delight. Does anybody here not long to be a delight in somebody's eyes? Everyone does. Everyone does. You know, and um, yeah, how, do you, how, do you, how do you show somebody delight? How do you show somebody delight? Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on this, brother. You know, I know you, but I can't remember your name. Kervin, yes. yes, Kervin, I know. So, Kervin, good to see you. But what if I say, Kervin, good to see you, okay? Makes all the difference in the world. Is, is you, we show delight with our eyes and with our facial expressions. We can give delight to each other. We can give delight to our children. We can give to, delight to friends we meet. We can give delight to strangers, Okay? Everybody longs to be delighted in. And, and so we have that power within us to give it. Why don't we? It's because we're not used to getting it and we're not used to giving it. But we all long for it. That's, and, and so when you look at these, this is what children need to grow up with. You need to delight in your children. You need to delight in your grandchildren. Uh, every, every Friday night, our granddaughters stay with us at 7 and 5. And we look forward to it. It's, it's just a lot of fun, a lot of work. Ready to see him come, ready to see him go, you know. Grace isn't, but I sort of am. Uh, but <laughs> they're, they're just a joy and a delight. But when I hear that pitter-patter of those footsteps coming down the stairs in the morning, when they come around the corner, here's what I want them to see. Okay? And I try and give them that. I try and just, I just want them to see a papaw who just delights in them. And they come running and jump in, jump in my lap and... I got a five-year-old who, she's Papaw's coffee drinker on the porch, okay? We, yeah, I should have had pictures up there to show. But she's, we're just, we, I want them to know that they're always going to be a delight in my eyes. That's, I want to give them that, okay? Not, not receiving not appropriate non-sexual affection. God designed us to need affection, to need affection, to desire affection. It's, it's, it's a God place there. But so much abuse. I'm on the committee for the Anabaptist Awareness for Sexual Abuse. So I get steeped in this garbage. I, I hear so many horrible stories. I get to sit here and tell you horror stories. Horror stories. A young girl 
sold by her dad to other men in the room above the bar. You know, what do you do with that? What is she supposed to do with that? A very conservative man paid for his farm that way. Okay. Yeah, I, I, can say, I can sit here and tell you horror stories. I can tell you worse stories than that. Satanic ritual abuse. Within the Anabaptist people. I'm not, I shouldn't tell these ugly stories. It's just that I end up hearing them and what do I do with them? And then how do we help somebody find healing for that? There is healing. God is a redeeming God. He is a redeeming God, and there's nothing he can't heal. There's nothing he can't restore, and that's what I believe. And it gets so exciting to watch people get free. That is the most rewarding thing that I can do in life, is help, is, is, is help people find healing in Jesus. But not receiving appropriate non-sexual affection. Our children need appropriate non-sexual affection. Boy, if you touch, if you touch children sexually, it's going to damage them for life. It's going to create wounds that they don't know what to do with. Is there healing for that? Absolutely. Our redeeming God can restore and heal those things. Okay, I know. I, you know, when I'm talking to a group this size, I can promise you the statistics. I hand out a questionnaire, and I'm not going to do it this week, but I hand out a sexual abuse questionnaire. It's, it's in, in the Anabaptist environment that I've been teaching in. It's one in four girls. And one in eight guys okay, have been sexually abused before they're, before they're an adult. That's, that's pretty sobering, isn't it? One in four. That, that tells you that we don't just have a pandemic. We have an epidemic. Okay? I see it getting better in the healthier churches. The more traditional the churches have been, the more it's, it's and there's a reason for that. It's be, and we can't get into that right now. But we need to get people, we need to, we need to have healthy, non-sexual, appropriate affection. Children need that. I, 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 I know our time will run out because I'll just want to go on bunny trails all the time. But not taught the important things in life. You know, how to, how to, to accomplish, and, and also this goes together, to persist in doing hard things, to start a task and finish it. To, uh, to learn how to, and I guess you don't have to balance a checkbook anymore because our computers do it, but you know how to manage money, how to, how to handle a credit card, how to do the tough things, how to do the important things, how, how to repair things, how to change oil in your car, things that we need to teach our children solid things that are important for them to know. How to do life. One of the challenges is, is this. This is, this is creating a huge problem because we are entertaining ourselves to death. Okay, we really are. I, I was just listening to a man teach, and he, he, isn't, he doesn't even claim to be a Christian, and he's saying they, he has a whole program that they're teaching people to unplug from their devices so they can live life in a healthy way. Isn't that interesting? Even the world, some of the world is starting to see that that thing is causing trouble. We need to learn how to manage it. We need to teach our children. And young, young children shouldn't be having them. I don't know what your policies are. Anyway. Eric Erickson says, if a child at the very earliest years learns not to trust the dominant personality in their life because of abuse, neglect, or abandonment, they have a fundamental inability to attach or trust and it's a taproot for all other kinds of pathologies. She's saying that 
that the authorities in a person's life, their parents, their grandparents, their uncles, their aunts, the church leaders, the people they associate with, if they learn that those people are not safe, it's going to create a huge amount of problem. Can we, can we make a commitment to being safe people, safe men, safe women, so that our children are totally safe and that we make sure that our children are safe? To know that what's going on with our children, where they're staying, should there be sleepovers or should there not? You know, there's places where your children, there's homes of your children in the church. Your children shouldn't have sleepovers there. Can, are you okay with this? You need, you need to find out where your children are and, and is that home okay? There were, when, when we were growing up in our church, I, we would not let our children stay over at one of the officials' homes because we knew things were going on there that shouldn't have gone on. That's, that's sad, but... Parents are, need to be responsible for making sure our children are going to be safe and healthy. So here's the three building blocks. Three building blocks that God designed every single one of us to need. And these are very easy. You don't have to write them down because I'm going to show you how easy it is for you to remember them. It's really, really easy. Okay? These building blocks, some people call it the three-legged stool. There's, there's three of them, and so if you remove one of them, the, th the stool falls over if you have three legs on a stool. But it provides security, freedom, strength, and courage. And here's what they are. There they are. It's belonging, it's love, and it's significance. I believe God created every single one of us to need those three things. Belonging, love, and significance. They're, they're very simple. Very simple. And here's how, here's how easy it is to remember. Four times it's recorded in the scriptures what Jesus heard from his father. Twice in public, remember? Once at his baptism and once on the Mount of Transfiguration. He heard it with other people present. Jesus, and Peter says it so well. It's, it's in all the Gospels. And then Peter says, Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying. Now look what, look what Jesus received when he heard that voice from his Father. Okay? The voice came to him from the majestic glory. Boy, Peter is really pouring this on. He received honor and glory from his father. This is Jesus receiving it when he heard these words. And, and see, it's so easy for us to remember. This is my son. That's belonging. This is my son. This is my beloved son. That's much love. It's unconditional love. I am pleased with him. That's significance. You see, if you just remember those things, don't, if you, just stop and think about it. You see, Jesus was going to experience some of the worst kind of difficulties in life. Do you think you're going to raise children? Do you think your children are going to grow up without running into the same difficulties that you grew up in? Probably not. This life is not easy. So how about if we give them the, the foundational things they need? I believe that God the Father knew his son would need those three things belonging, love, and significance, so that he could endure the mocking, the insulting, the spitting on, the flogging. He was rejected and betrayed by his own people. Do you realize rejection and betrayal is one of the most difficult, painful things that a person can experience? So I believe God knew that his son would need this to go through a very, very difficult life. And I believe, if God, if God thought his son would need that, do you think that maybe your children will need that too? Do you think so? I think so. 
I believe those are the three things we need to give our children. And then we also need to give it to each other as husbands and wives. We also need to give it to each other as brothers and sisters in the church. So when I teach this, I teach it in four parts. I teach it as parents to children, husbands to wives, and wives to husbands, and then within the church. I forget the fourth one. But I have four different sections. So the application is used over and over again. But it's what Jesus heard from his father, and it's what we need to give to our children. What happens when these are damaged or missing? A life spent trying to fill the void. This is what I see. When you have hurting people who didn't get this when they were young as children, they're going to spend their life trying to receive it. I want to just go off on a bunny trail here. I believe that children need unconditional love. They need unconditional love. They need to know that they belong, and they need to know that they are significant. They need to know those things. They also, they also, if they, if they don't get those things, they are going to struggle in life. Now, here's what I see with sexual abuse. If you have, a, if you have daughters, how many of you have daughters who are, you know, 12 and older now? Anybody here? Yeah. Still at home? No? Okay. Yeah, listen, here's, here's what I see, is fathers especially can jerk-proof their daughters by giving them appropriate, healthy, non-sexual affection. Because, you see, they need it. They need cared for. I, I run into it over and over again, that when, when you have a, when you have a, a young girl who, who doesn't have that love cup filled in a healthy way at home, She's very vulnerable to the jerks out there who will show it to her. I run into that over and over and over and over again. We, we can give our children security. We can give them what they need. But you touch them sexually, you're going to mess with them. You're going to mess them up for life. But fathers and mothers too, we can give our children a f- appropriate non-sexual affection so that they're healthy, so they can, they don't, they're not looking for it. You see, when those are missing, it's a life spent trying to fill that missing void that, should, that God intended to be filled by parents. You, you have people who are per, a performance and attention-driven. You, you know anybody that's attention-driven? Yeah, they're always trying to get attention, or, it, or they're always trying to perform so that they can get approval. This is, this is what happens when these are missing. Escape and addictive behaviors. You know, we, when, when you're hurting because of, of missing links, you, you, try and, you try and ease that pain one way or another. And oftentimes you'll do it, people will do it through addictive behaviors, whether it's, whether it's alcohol or whether it's drugs or, or whether it's uh, entertainment or whether it's movies or even workaholism. You know, people will look for ways to escape the pain and they'll, be, they'll do it through busyness or medication one way or another. I, I remember talking to one, one gal. She, she was a mother with with three children, and, and all she did was, was watch movies. And, and this, is con- this is conservative people. I, I, don't, I don't work with the world, the world. But she would watch movies over and over and over again. Why? Because when you're watching a movie, you live life vicariously in the, in the people in the movie. And that's how she would, she would just live an escaped life, by watching movies. Somebody's, somebody's uh, alarm system likes to let us know what's going on. Push the right button. Okay. Codependent relationships. You see people who hurt, hurt people find each other. 
hurt people hurt people, and they hurt people find each other. Uh, um, rebellious people find each other. You know, angry people find each other. Uh, so, so you end up with these codependent relationships. People are hurting, and so they, they form a friendship, and then they get married, and, and then their marriage is really in, in trouble, and they struggle, but they hardly can let go of each other because it's a, a hooked relationship because of their, their lack and what they need. Relationships struggle because they cannot bear the weight of our neediness. You know, uh, Grace and I are married 50 years, 51 years. 50, we were married in 1970. How's that? Okay. Uh, we were married when we were 10, just to give you an idea how old we are. Okay, just, just thought you ought to know. But, you know, what was interesting in, in our relationship early on is I... I, I didn't, it's not that I had a bad home life, but I wanted grace to give me belonging, love, and significance. And because of that, I was draining her. I was draining, I was draining her energy, draining her life. And that wasn't healthy at all. So we're going to be looking at this real shortly uh, about what do we do when we're missing these things? What happens when, this is what happens when they're missing, we're going to look at what, what, what do we do with it when, when these things are missing. Anybody ever hear of Brene Brown? Anyone? Brene Brown? She, she, got her, she did her doctoral work in shame. She's not a believer. But I get excited when I see people who, from the world, do intense studies and they come up with the same answers that the Bible comes up with. That, that, that's pretty impressive. So she says, she said in her study... She, she wrote her, her doctoral thesis on shame, and she goes, we are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to be loved and to belong. Isn't that fascinating? And she goes, when those needs are not met, we break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. Isn't that interesting? She found this doing her doctoral work. Not, not a Christian at all. But in counseling, it's what I see. It's what I see, too. You see, there's insufficient funds in our emotional bank account. So we're trying to find those things from other places, unhealthy places, generally. So then there's a capstone on this belonging, love, and significance. If you know your scripture, it says, You have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. So in Hebrews 12, anybody know what that what that word of encouragement is? It's a word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Who wants to guess what it is? It's the capstone that goes on top of belonging, love, and significance. Anyone remember what the scriptures say there? It puts you on the spot, doesn't it? Well, here it is. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Okay? You see, discipline proves belonging. How many, of you, how many of you discipline your neighbor's children? How many of you want to discipline your neighbor's children? Yeah, you see, you don't discipline them because they don't belong to you. You know what? It says if, if you love your son, you're going to discipline them. If you love your daughter, you're going to discipline them. God, if he loves us, he will bring discipline into our lives. Isn't it interesting how discipline proves belonging? An undisciplined child does not feel like they belong. It's important for us to see those things.
So here's, this, here's a model, discipline built on belonging, love, and significance. Okay, what you have is belonging, belonging, love, and significance, and then discipline is built on that. And so you have boundaries lovingly and firmly placed, and that produces security and liberty. This is a healthy way to raise children. So here's the boundaries. And if you look at them, in the bottom, the boundaries are thicker. And then as it gets, as it, as it gets toward the top, it narrows. You see, you wanna, it, when, you're, when you start out raising your children, you have, you have rules. We live right along a fairly busy road. In fact, we just live two miles down the road here. But we live along a fairly busy road, and, and the cars zip past you know, 25 feet in front of, in front of our porch. And, and so when our children were little, we, we had a rule. We said, you do not play in the front yard. You only play in the backyard. Why? Because we wanted them safe. So the rule was no playing in the front yard. We didn't want balls rolling out across the yard, across the road, and some uh, children chasing them. But what we also had to do is we had to get the mail, and the mail was across the road. So what do you do with that? Well, you have rules, and you tell your children, no, you may not play in the front yard. No, you don't go out on the road. But as they got a little older, we would carry them in our arms and we would go get the mail. We would stop at the edge of the road, look both ways. There's a curve on the left. We would listen to see if there's any cars coming. Then we would go across and get the mail and we'd come back. We could talk to our children. But they could not do that. That was a rule. But as they got older, then we would take them by the hand and we'd walk to the edge of the road. And then we'd say, hey, let's stop and let's look and listen. And then we would look for cars, listen for cars, then we go across, get the mail, and come back again. After a while, you'd say, hey, um, you, you go out and get the mail, but stop at the edge of the road, and we would watch them. You see, as they get older, you change rules. You, you move away from rules. You, take, you move from law to principle. If you keep children based on law all the time, they will never grow up. They'll never mature. And so as they get older, the boundaries get smaller, and you give them more freedom so they can grow into responsibility. Okay. And what this does is it produces a balance of truth and grace. And what it also does, it produces a mature child. That child grows up to accept responsibility. Law was replaced by principle. Here you teach them how to do things and you teach them why they do them. So now they can make wise and healthy choices. And it also produces right concepts of God because, you see, God is a balance of grace and truth. He's a, he's a balance of belonging, love, and significance, and, and discipline. Yeah, it talks about, you know, it shows our children his justice. It also shows his mercy. So here's discipline built on a performance-based acceptance. In dealing with hurting people over the years, so many people come out of this kind of environment. Many of you have come out of this environment. Okay. As, as the younger our families grow, less of that. But the older you are, you came out of a fairly traditional home life, and you were pretty much, it was pretty much a performance-based acceptance. It's what I run into over and over again. And so parents build walls, and those walls create feelings of being controlled and trapped, and it produces anger and rebellion. And so belonging, love, and significance weren't there. People got approval if they performed well enough. Okay? If they hoed the peas correctly, if they hoed the corn correctly, if they got the job done on time, and if they did enough, then they got approval. If they didn't, they, they got disapproval. Okay? Approval 
Approval needs to be earned, but belonging, love, and significance does not. Can you hear that? Belonging, love, and significance does not need to be earned. Approval needs to be earned. You don't approve. If, you're, if you tell your children, if you, if you tell your son to mow the grass and you go out and, and take, take a look at the lawn and there's skippers everywhere, you say, you know, son, we're going to eat supper, but you're going to be mowing the grass. And when the skippers are all gone, you can come in and eat, okay? That's, you, know, you don't let them get away with doing a sloppy job. If your daughter dusted the, the room and you go, you go around and look at the dust job and, and she didn't move anything and she just made a swipe through the in-between in the middle... Aren't you glad none of you ever did that? I thought so. Mm -hmm. You don't approve of that. You make them go back and do the job right, and you inspect it. You see, approval has to be earned, but belonging, love, and significance. But when this kind of, in this kind of a setting, it was a performance-based acceptance. And, and I, I, this is something we deal with a lot with hurting people, is because they only got acceptance when they did their job well, right, fast enough, good enough, and other than that, they didn't get approval, or they didn't get acceptance, they didn't get love. Okay. What happens is, is then it produces wrong concepts of God. It's an overbalance of God's truth, and his truth and severity jump out at you, but, but the other side is not there. And then instead, if belonging, love, and significance is, isn't there, then it's no longer discipline. It's no longer discipline, now it's punishment. Okay. Something to really keep in mind. And it, it, scream, it screams to a child that I'm not loved, and it also produces wrong concepts of God. That's not who God is. And then the, then the opposite of this, and this is where that pendulum swings. If you were raised one way, the pendulum has a tendency to swing the other way, and then you run into the, the passive or the, uh, the tolerant parent. Because they were raised very harshly, they have a tendency to not discipline. And then the children are unsure of their boundaries, and then there's a lack of respect for authority. There's insecurity disguised as arrogance. There's a lack of self-discipline. There's irresponsibility. And there's tolerance instead of discipline. It's an overemphasis on grace and mercy and God's grace. And you end up with children in adults' bodies. And that's what we're dealing with very frequently today. Children in adult bodies. And it produces... Wrong concepts of God, and it tells your children I'm not significant enough for them to care enough to discipline me and teach me the difficult things in life and how to manage life. So, here if we have the four, four foundations for life, I belong and I know and feel belonging. I am loved and feel loved. I feel needed and important to the family. I know where the boundaries are and what is acceptable and not acceptable. Then you can handle life. And I've found life to be difficult, but I believe when we give our children that, and we give each other that, we can give our husbands and wives that, we can give our mates that. How do you do that? Well, I'm so glad Grace is mine, and I want to I let her know I'm pleased that she's mine. Okay? So glad I'm married to you. Thanks for saying yes, you know? <laughs> you know, we sort of take things for granted after a while, and we don't give those things to each other. We don't look for areas to, to bless them and, and, and express our gratitude. And, you know, dear, I, my, I, there's, there's, there's things that happen by magic at our, my place. You know, I throw dirty clothes in the hamper, sometimes on the floor, and they show up folded and clean in my drawer again. Yeah. Do I want to take that for granted all the time? 
Or maybe your husband goes to work and brings home the paycheck. That's what he's supposed to do, right? Just take it for granted. What if we would express some gratitude and praise and we would express how much we appreciate them for those things? You see, we can, we can, we can give these foundational needs to each other and to our children and our grandchildren. So what do we do when we're missing these? And so we're sitting here as adults, and we all got this perfectly, right? We all got it just right. We don't have any of those needs. Yeah, we do. We really do. And here's what God wants to do. He wants us to get these things. He really does. We need to receive honor from God our Father by hearing His voice. So here's what I would really like to do right now. I would just like for us to ask God for some things here, okay? You close your eyes and pray with me, and let's ask God to do something tonight. Father, Father, we're going to be looking at truths in your word. And Lord, if there are missing links in our lives, and we know that some of them are, Father, in the power of the truth of your word, Jesus, you tell us that the words you speak to us, they are spirit and they are life. Father, would the words that we're going to be looking at now, would they become spirit and life? And would they move into our hearts when, that it's not just a head knowledge, but it would become part of us. It would become real to us, to each one. Would, it, would you fill the missing void? Would you fill the missing gaps in whoever is missing belonging, whoever's missing love, whoever's missing significant? Tonight, here, this evening, would you meet needs through the power of the truth of your word. And we ask this in the wonderful and authoritative name of Jesus. Amen. So, my brothers, my sisters, when I look at Scripture, I look carefully at the words that are being said. Let's look at some of the Scriptures here. I know and I feel and, and that I belong and am loved. Look at 1 John 3.1. This is a powerful, powerful, powerful Scripture. And John wrote it for us. Look what he says here. How great is the love? And that sounds like a question, but it's not a question. It actually ends with an exclamation point. How great is that love? It's a statement of exclamation. How great is that love? It's beyond our comprehension. How great is the, the love the Father and the King James would say bestowed? It, he just dabbed it on us, right? No, I, I love how the NIV says, be, how, how great is that love the Father has lavished on us? lavished on us that we can be called the children of God what kind of a what kind of a love is it that God chose to become one of us in Jesus so that he could adopt us as his children and look what it says and that is what we are you see how great is that love it's huge God loves you he chose you he died for you so that you can be adopted, and by you believing in the work of the cross of Jesus, you get adopted as his son, his daughter. Look what great love it is. You are his much-loved, died-for, chosen child of God, Rhoda. That's you. It's who God made you to be in Christ. In Christ. When we look at identity, we're going to have a handout some homework for you to do to see who you are in Christ, in Him. You see, 
And that is what we are. You belong to God. You are his child. And the very next verse says, seeing then that we are his child, and then it goes on and keeps on talking. See, God wants us to know that we are so loved and that we belong. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing to you? Look what Paul says in the, at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. And when we look at identity, we're going to be looking very closely at Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Look what he says. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Rooted and established. That means that's a foundational truth. You're rooted and established in love. May have the power to grasp. That has, he's pray, Paul's praying that you would have the ability to know and to experience and to feel how loved you are. That's Paul's prayer. He's saying that you, I'm, I keep asking the Father, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power to grasp. <clears throat> Father, would you give us the ability to grasp how loved we are? When I'm dealing with a hurting person and I sense that they haven't been loved and haven't experienced these three foundational things, I'll ask him. I said, do your parents love you? And you know what the answer is almost every time? Yeah, my parents love me. And then I ask him this question, did you feel loved by your parents? No. Do you see what Paul's praying? You see, you, you would ask those parents if they loved their children. Of course we loved our children. We, we fed them. We gave them a house to live in. Yeah, but you see, they didn't express love in ways that it was felt, that it was real, that it was, it was healthy affection. It was words of affirmation. It was correction that was wise and healthy, so it was discipline and not punishment. Here Paul's praying that they would have the power to grasp if, a ch if, you, if, you can, if you don't feel, you're, you might know that your parents loved you, but if you didn't feel loved, in essence, you did not experience love. And he says, and to know this love. And he says, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ? Do you see what Paul's praying? You see, Paul understood this. Paul grew up in a very religious system. He grew up in a system that that it was, it was law, it was legalism. And he grew up in that. It was, it was performance. And, and so when Christ struck him down and he experienced the love of God, he experienced what, and, and it was so interesting, he, Ananias was told by God, go tell Paul the great things that he's going to have to suffer for my sake. That'd be a great message to take somebody, wouldn't it? Wow. But I just was reading the other day that Paul said, uh, I, a prisoner of the Lord. He was in prison. He was writing. But he says, I, a prisoner of the Lord. Why didn't he say, why wasn't he angry? Why wasn't he frustrated and say, I'm a prisoner of the Romans. They put me here. The Jews put me here. They falsely accused me. I am, I'm rotting here in prison. You know, he didn't do that. He saw that God had a plan and a purpose in the midst of prisonment. He says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? He understood how loved he was. He understood how God was using him to reach other people. Aren't, you, aren't, aren't we blessed because Paul was in prison and he wrote the prison epistles? Very much so. Wow. So life is going to be difficult. Life's going to be hard. But you can give each other 
belonging, belonging, love, and significance. And even if you don't give it to each other and you never got it from your parents, you can get it from Jesus. You can get it from God. That's what we're seeing here in these scriptures. That's what we prayed for, that you would know and you'd have the ability to grasp how loved you are. There is no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for his brethren. And guess what Jesus did? God laid down his life for us. He became one of us. He entered our pain. He entered our sorrow. He entered all the garbage that we could possibly experience. He experienced it to the extreme. That's how loved you are. That's how loved you are. That's how much you belong. You are a child of God because of Jesus, because he loved us so much. And then I feel needed and important to God's family. Your body, you can't have something more significant than this. Your body is the temple of the living God. Your body is, your physical body is the temple of the living God. That's an amazing thing. Talk about significance. Yeah, Paul says that repeatedly. Don't you know that you were bought with a price? That your body doesn't belong to you? Your body belongs to Jesus. Did you know that you didn't come to church tonight? You came to a meeting house. Our, our forefathers wouldn't have caught, said that we go to church. They would have said we went to the meeting house. Why? You know why, don't you? So why? Absolutely. We're the church. And we, the church, we are the temples. Years ago, the people would go to the temple and they would cleanse the temple. God's now saying, don't you know your body is the temple? Keep your body cleansed. And then you come to the meeting house as the church. And our forefathers, they, they took that really seriously. My alarm's going off to let me know I'm supposed to wrap this up. How's that? Okay. So, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Isn't that amazing? You are given the gift of the Holy Spirit in your body. That's an amazing thing. That's significance beyond comprehension. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. He's telling us that we Together, we have love, belonging, significance. We are his. That's an amazing thing. And then I know where the boundaries are. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. You see, he cares about us. He gives us what we need. I belong and know, and I feel that belonging. You see, it's important that we feel it, that we understand it, we know it. I'm loved and feel loved. And you know, people say, well, I don't have that feeling. Well, you know, then... I probably don't, yeah, I feel loved by God. I really do. But you know where it comes from? It comes from me in the word, knowing it. And it moves from my head to my heart on a regular basis because I get up in the morning, I want a good cup of coffee and my Bible on the porch and I want to spend some time talking to my father and I want to spend, have the, I want my father to be talking to me. Coffee's pretty important though. I am loved and I feel loved. I feel wanted. I am important to God. Through his word, I know where the boundaries are and what's acceptable and not acceptable. And then I can live life. Okay? My desire tonight is that you would understand how loved you are, how much you belong, and how significant you are to God. 
He spends the New Testament trying over and over again to get us to see that through the writings of Paul, through the writings of of the Gospels. He wants us to understand how loved we are. Your love, O O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice is like the great deep. How priceless is your unfailing love. Did you hear that? How priceless is your unfailing love. Let's close by having you... Let's, Let's sing this together. It's to it's a song to be it's a, to the tune of "Be Still My Soul," but listen to the words, sing the words. It's 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 speaking truth from Father God to us. Okay, let's let's uh, let's sing this song. I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. I'll walk with
I did all the talking tonight. What's, what's your thoughts, comments, questions? We live in a sick world. Sick world. We do. God's a redeeming God. Thank you for that testimony. Amen and amen. What do you think? Love, belonging, significance. Are they important to you? They're important to every one of us. They really are. They're, they're, they're just foundation. My wife just said, fathers, don't stop hugging your daughters. I agree with that very much. Yeah. I grew up in a church where there was a lot of fornication. I counted on my hands and feet one time. My toes, I didn't have enough toes and fingers to count all the... the, the confessions I had heard growing up as a child for fornication and even a couple for adultery. And I was determined. The scriptures say it shouldn't be once named among you. And it was telling me there was something horribly wrong within the church. And I started looking at life and trying to figure out, okay, I did not want my children to go through those same things. If there's anything I feel sort of... I, I'm, I want you to hear, I wish I could go back. I learned so much about being a parent since I was a parent and since they're away from home. But one of the things I really did feel like I was successful in doing, and that was my daughter never wondered whether she was loved. And she knew, and it was, it was always appropriate. And I, and I believed it gave her the strength to not need to get, find it somewhere else. I really do. That was really important to me because I watched all of that happening around me when I was growing up. Time for me to sit down. You're, I guess it's time to be dismissed. Okay. Any other comments before we stop? Okay. Thank you for listening. I think you're dismissed, right? Is that how you do it? <laughs>